0: WDBM East Lansing.
1: Welcome to the Sci Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boodoo
0: and Daniel Puentes.
1: Some of you may have heard of red pandas. They're really cute, and you may have seen them in the zoo, like the local zoo, Potter Park Zoo. But their biology is also really cool. For example. Red pandas are non-carnivorous, but they have the biology of carnivores, which means that they could eat meat, but they normally don't. They're actually herbivores. To tell you more about red pandas, we're here with Bridget Walker. Bridget, can you please introduce yourself?
2: Hi, I'm Bridget Walker. I am a third-year vet student at MSU, and um, I'm hoping to go into zoo medicine. And part of one of the really big, important pieces of going into zoo medicine is doing research research. So last summer, I was able to help out at Finder Park Zoo and Powder Park Zoo in Michigan looking at thyroid dysfunction in red pandas.
0: Thanks for joining us today, Bridget. Could you explain what the function of the thyroid is in the red panda?
2: The thyroid gland is located in the neck and it produces thyroid hormones, mainly thyroxine. And thyroid hormones regulate many metabolic processes in the body and are especially important for fetal development.
1: Thanks for that explanation, Bridget. What happens whenever the thyroid malfunctions in animals, such as the red panda? When the thyroid
2: malfunctions, it means that there's not as many thyroid hormones in the body. And thyroid hormones, like I said, play a really big role in the growth and metabolism of animals. So when the thyroid malfunctions in an animal will kind of determine what the disease looks like if they're young versus if they get it when they're old. If they're young, obviously their growth will be more affected. When they're older, their metabolism gets affected. And when the thyroid dysfunctions, one of two things can happen. They can either be hypothyroid and have low thyroid hormones, or they can be hyperthyroid and have high levels of thyroid hormones. And my project specifically looked at measuring a hormone that can help us determine whether the thyroid is functioning correctly. What I did um, was I looked at the canine TSH assay. TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. And the thyroid stimulating hormone is produced by the pituitary gland, travels to the thyroid and kind of tells it what to do and gives it directions on how much thyroid hormone it should be secreting. So in animals that have a thyroid gland that's not functioning correctly, the TSH levels can either be elevated or they can be very low. And that's something that the canine TSH assay can tell us for dogs. It's also been approved in cats. And the study that I looked at this summer was to determine if this canine TSH assay can also tell us about the levels of TSH and thyroid function in red pandas.
1: Yeah, that's really important to keep a check on. Whenever people are taking care of red pandas, do they constantly check for the TSH levels or is this something that they won't look for until later on if a problem arises?
2: That's a good question. So in a lot of zoo animals, it's not as easy to get blood on them to run tests like it is in dogs and cats. It'd be pretty difficult to do a blood draw on a red panda while they're awake. Some animals can be trained for this, but the red pandas we used for our project were not. So we take the opportunity to gather blood from them when they either are anesthetized for their annual exams, yearly exams with the doctor, or when they are anesthetized to do a further workup if they're acting sick. And a lot of times this test is not run unless the animal is showing some clinical signs that they could have a thyroid problem. So that would be something as general as a really rapid weight uh, weight gain with not a whole big change in their diet. Um, that could be increased urination, increased drinking. If an animal looks like it's not going, growing quite right or it looks like its metabolism is slowing down, it's not as high energy as it used to be, So this is not a test that I think a lot of doctors run unless they think their animal could have a thyroid problem.
0: Okay, so the doctors typically only perform this kind of test whenever it's necessary for the animal. If the animal has been shown to have a higher amount of the thyroid stimulating hormone, what treatments are available to help with the animal?
2: So if an animal has an elevated TSH level, that means that that animal is potentially hypothyroid. Um, and there is, there are medications that can help. The medication that helps with hypothyroidism is levothyroxine. If it's hyperthyroidism uh, that they're looking at for that animal, the treatments will be different. So it really depends on the situation um, and the species for what treatment they're going to use. What animals have you conducted a TSH test on? So besides obviously looking at the TSH assay in red pandas, I have also seen doctors run it for dogs and cats, and it's run with the exact same assay. They use a blood sample, and you run it, and then you can get your values back and evaluate those.
0: It's great to hear that there's a lot of information about performing these kinds of tests and helping these animals improve their health. Have you actually been involved with doing any of these tests on these animals?
2: Yeah, so last summer I was able to do some of the blood draws for the red pandas. A lot of our samples did come out of the serum bank that Binder Park Zoo and Potter Park Zoo have. And that's something that's really important and really, really cool that these zoos do, specifically for situations like this one, where we have a study that we want to run, but we can't necessarily go out and anesthetize 20 different red pandas and get blood samples on them, all in the time frame of a research project especially because my research project was part of a summer program, so it was a little bit of a shorter time frame. But zoos like Potter Park Zoo and Binder Park Zoo, when they collect an animal sample, if they have leftovers that they don't need at that time, they can freeze them and save them for further research studies to help contribute to the body of information on that animal. And it's a really important part of research conservation.
1: That's really cool that you got the opportunity to conduct this research last summer. What was that experience like?
2: The program I was a part of was the MSU CVM Summer Scholars Program. And so it's a program that's not just sending you out to do a research project. So we did seminars every week on how to conduct scientific research and what it means to really be looking at data and how to evaluate things like that. How to look at a good uh, a paper and try to analyze that paper for its quality and the information that's in it and things like that. So that part of the program was especially helpful. Being new into the veterinary medicine field, because I am still a student, those are things that I hadn't really heard about before and I wasn't very good at. And so it was very helpful to hear how I can not only conduct research, but how I can evaluate other research and use it in the future when I'm practicing medicine. And I was lucky enough to be paired with Dr. Ronan as my mentor. And he helped me to establish this project and get that started. And it was a really amazing experience to not only have the program to help me, but also have an amazing mentor like Dr. Ronan and Dr. Kim at Binder Park Zoo as well.
0: We've recently had both you and Dr. Ronan on the show previously when you talked to us about your work with DOPSI. I'm wondering what other types of research projects are you involved with during your time here at Michigan State?
2: So a lot of the research projects uh, that I've been able to be involved with are actually through Potter Park Zoo, and it can be something as simple as helping to bank some of the serum, like I talked about after they draw it during an animal animal's exam. Um, I was also able to work a lot with Dopsy, and Dopsy contributes to a lot of research projects, and that's something that's very very important for the zoo especially because not much is known about black rhino reproduction. And Dapsi not only has a very regular estrus cycle, which can be rare in black rhinos, but she's also had a successful pregnancy with a beautiful baby uh, named Jolly. He's very cute, but she's a really cool animal to work with. She's contributed a lot just through serum from her blood values. They've looked at her for her estrus cycles and things like that. So there's a lot of different research projects going on at Potter Park. Michigan State also has a lot of research going on. I haven't necessarily been involved with a ton of it, but out at the veterinary diagnostic lab, there are researchers going there all the time, taking care of projects and just putting out really cool information out into the literary
1: world. That's cool. It was nice talking with you and Dr. Ronan about Dopsy, and we were able to see her get an ultrasound and everything, and we really enjoyed them. How are these biological studies important for animal conservation, especially for endangered species?
2: These research projects are a really important part of zoo medicine and the zoo community, just because so little is really known about the animals that we have in zoos. There's been so much amazing research that's been done already, and that's really helped advance the field. But there's a long ways to go as far as knowing what we can about every single animal that's out there. And it's crazy to think that we'll ever make it there someday. I just don't think there's enough time in the universe to get all the answers that we want. But zoo medicine has a huge research component just because there are so many species and so little known about them. And a lot of the decisions that are made for the animals that you see in zoos can be based off of dog and cat and cow and horse research. But there are some differences. And slowly but surely, the research papers that are coming out help us understand those differences and help make more well-informed decisions in zoo medicine. And that's part of why it's so important for people in zoo medicine to do research is there's just so many questions and so many different things that we need to know about that we don't right now.
0: I think it's great that programs like this exist to help understand how these biological systems work and how they can be used to inform conservation efforts. But back to the red pandas, do you happen to know any cool red panda facts?
2: I do have a whole bunch of cool red panda facts. Red pandas live in the snowy mountaintops in Asia, and so they actually have complete fur on all of their feet, so they have nice little panda mittens that keep them warm. Their tails are long enough, it's about half the length of their entire body, that when they lay down, they can wrap it around to help keep themselves warm. They're a non-carnivorous carnivore, so they look like a carnivore. They have the digestive system of a carnivore. Their teeth look like they should be eating meat like a carnivore, but pandas actually prefer to eat bamboo for almost their entire diet. And depending on the time of year that it is, what season they're in, they'll choose different parts of the bamboo plant. And researchers think it's because the nutrients balance themselves differently in the parts of the bamboo based on seasonality. Red pandas are also known for having a modified wrist bone that lets them grip them, grip things kind of like a false thumb, but they don't actually have a digit there. It's just a modified wrist bone.
1: So like we mentioned earlier, Bridget, you've worked with other animals at the zoo. Have you worked only with the Dopsy and the red pandas or have you worked with other animals at the zoo?
2: I've been lucky enough to work with a bunch of different animals at the zoo, I've helped with the penguins. I've helped with a couple snakes. So when I was working with Dr. Ronan and Dr. Kim for the summer, they gave me a lot of really amazing hands-on opportunities. And I was able to help in a lot of different ways. And it really helped me to further my clinical knowledge and to get me ready for my hopeful future career. And they were amazing mentors. And they really, they really taught me a lot just by letting me interact with all these different species.
0: It's really cool that you had the chance to experience this clinical research. And how is this going to be used to prepare you for your future career?
2: Being able to conduct this research and work with Dr. Ronan and Dr. Kim at Potter Park and Binder Park Zoo has been absolutely invaluable as far as preparing me for my future career. I want to be a zoo vet. And so being able to not only get experience doing the hands-on clinical things that I was able to do with them, but also being able to get research experience has been absolutely amazing.
1: Research experience really is an invaluable opportunity. Whenever you say that you want to be a vet at a zoo, what does that mean exactly? Like is a vet at the zoo someone who gets called in or do vets at the zoo go in regularly? That's a good question. So that is
2: really specific to whatever zoo you're talking about. So some zoos only have one veterinarian that's full-time staff and is there all the time every day. Some zoos have a small enough collection of animals that they don't have a zoo vet there all the time. They call a vet in to come out and do their veterinary work, but they don't have a vet on staff. And some zoos, like the really, really big zoos like San Diego and Columbus Zoo, have multiple vets that are on their staff. So that's it's, it's dependent on the zoo that you're talking about.
1: I think you're going to be a great zoo veterinarian. Do you have any other experiences in a clinical setting?
2: Yeah, so I started shadowing when I was pretty young. I uh, first shadowed our family vet that we took our dogs to when I was 15. And after a couple years of shadowing for her, I went to undergrad and kept getting more experience. I shadowed at a clinic that not only saw dogs and cats, but also saw some exotic animals like birds and lizards and things like that. So I haven't had a super huge array of experiences. But just from what I, I've done, I knew that I really liked seeing exotic animals. And I grew up volunteering at my hometown zoo in Madison, Wisconsin, and knew that I absolutely loved the zoo world. And I got to work as a zookeeping intern for a couple summers. So even if it's not medical experience, if you think you want to go into vet med, just getting some experience around different type, types of animals and different types of animal facilities and things like that can also help you kind of figure out what you really like to do.
0: As a final question, are there any words of advice that you would give to our audience listening to those that are interested in veterinary medicine?
2: Yeah. So my biggest piece of advice for people going into veterinary medicine is to get out into the clinics and try to shadow as many people as you can in as many different types of clinics and types of areas of practice. There's so many different areas in veterinary medicine, not just zoo medicine, There's people who do equine medicine with horses and there's people who do production medicine with a lot of dairy cattle and a lot of beef cattle and things like that. Um, Not to mention all sorts of laboratory studies, pathology. There's so many different areas to go into. And the best way to know which one you're going to fit into and which one you're going to like most is to get out and start getting hands-on experience and starting to talk to clinicians and try to get advice from them and talk to them about what they do every day and just see kind of where your interests lie.
0: Thanks for sharing that advice with us, Bridget. We really appreciate you joining us on the show today and good luck on future research studies with the Red Pandas.
2: Thank you so much.
0: The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Boodoo and Daniel Puentes for Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Sophie Sagan, program director, Amber Konutsky. Station Manager Joe Dandron, and General Manager Jeremy Whiting. This
1: show, as well as the entire Impact 89FM podcast lineup, can be found online at impact89fm.org or by searching for the Sci-Files on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on the Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at sci at impact89fm.org.
0: See you next week on the Sci-Files. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.